Hello and welcome to Milkshake Monday. I am Anita Helm and this production is being brought to you by Fordos. And we're so excited to have you on the channel tonight. This is episode 270 for the beginning of season four. And we are very grateful that you have been supporting us since 2018. And we are in 2023. And tonight's episode is called Substance. Now, I'm going to give you a little insight about substance. I have been teaching from Psalm 139 in multiple ways of sharing one of my favorite scriptures about the Lord and him knowing the substance of our days, the, the actual pages in our book. And I also have heard Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. Well, in the time of listening to some of the recordings that I've done, the word substance kept jumping out at me. And I said, it will be wonderful, God, if you can kind of give me some insight. And I'm going to give you a visual tonight. The visual is going to be, imagine you have a beautiful work of art, a Monet, some kind of Rembrandt, some kind of really fabulously historical piece of art. The art is a masterpiece because of what's inside of the frame, what the creator, that painter, who is well-known and historic, has done. Well, when we start to live our lives, we find that we focus on the frame and the outside stuff instead of what's going on inside, the masterpiece of what God has created. And I'm going to show you tonight some inside things that are going on within each and every one of us who has been framed and created by the Lord and things that are happening on the outside. And I'm going to show you a few scriptures tonight. And so when I talked about Hebrews 11, 1, I want to slow down on parts of that passage that I think we run by because when it says the substance of things, substance of things, what things? I think many of us thought about or think about things that we can attain, things that we want to have, relationships we want to have, jobs we want to have. But what about the substance of the things related to what God wants to form and develop on the inside? The things of our substance, the complete works of what's happening. We are said in the scripture that we are created in the image and likeness of God and that the Holy Spirit dwells and resides in us. So how is it that we never think about the substance being the things and the characteristics that God wants to build on the inside? And as we look at tonight's lesson, we're going to have the opportunity to show where people under fire, people under pressure, us included, show the substance of what's on the inside of us that comes out while we're under pressure. And many of our lives are spent running after things, treasures, things, temporary trinkets. And tonight is going to be that contrast. Now, let me read the scriptures and I'm going to slowly say the words and then we'll get into the context of the message. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen. Psalm 139, 15 through 16 verses say, my substance was not hid from thee. When I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest part of the earth, 
thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in the book, all my members were written, which in contuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. Now, tonight, as you're going to see some people, you're going to see the inside substance and the outside substance. The outside substance, like I said, will have more to do with things and treasures and inheritance and that kind of thing, things that you can tangibly see, things that people get caught up thinking, hey, I'm going to have a U-Haul running behind me with all my stuff. Not going to happen. But what is going to happen is the substance of who you are on the inside, the characteristics of God that you are developing and manifesting on the inside, that's what's going to find itself in the eternal realm. So I wanted to show you a couple of examples other than those scriptures of inside, the inside game, the inside part of who we are. And look at what a couple of these say. Here's one that says in Isaiah 6, 13, Isaiah 6, 13, but yet in it shall be a 10th and it shall return and shall be eaten as a teal tree and as an oak whose substance is in them. When they cast their leaves, so the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. This is a visualization of also showing you that a tree has sap. Sap is like the blood of trees. And there's two components. There's one that gives the tree water. And there's also a part that's sweet that some people will see like the maple, the sugar maple tree that we have that as syrup. Two components, which are the bloodline of a tree. But that's what the tree is made of. That's what keeps the tree full of nutrients and that, that sustains the tree year after year. Parts of that will change. And those rings that you see to show how old a tree is, that's because of the substance of that sap inside. That is their life stream. We have things that are our life stream spiritually. The Holy Spirit residing in us is part of our life stream. The substance of who we are, whether we're obedient, whether we're disciplined, where we're loving and kind, whether we're having hope for God, we want the truth of God. All those things are inside. That's your inside game, the substance of who makes you up. And when you go through trials and tribulations and you go through some serious crap in your life, you're going to see what you're made of. And I know that people want to say, hey, I got all the money in the world. I can make everything fine. Oh, if I have friends, if I have all these assets here and there, if I have this great job, if I have all these great titles, that's the outside. And that's a substance that God will speak of. Let me give you a second example of the inside game. It says in Proverbs 12, 27, the slothful man roasteth not that which he took in hunting, but the substance of a diligent man is precious. That substance they're talking about is within, the content within. Now, let's see some examples of outside because you're like, um, Sam, I really don't get it. But the peculiar, the peculiar word of the use of substance makes you have to think a little bit. I know it took me some time. God, how am I going to show this? How can I make it understandable so that when you contemplate the lesson, you can start to evaluate and ask yourself some questions. What's going on with the substance? of the things I'm hoping for. 
are the substance about building up things about my godly character, the characteristics of the Lord in my life, or it's about me hoping for substance, which is exterior. Have I really tuned into God to ask him, what's my purpose in this life? What are the substance of my days about? Now let's go to some outside examples of substance. We're going to go to to Genesis chapter seven, verse four. Now, the reason why God ended up wanting to destroy in the flood is because the substance of the mankind that he created was so evil and reprobate that he wanted to wipe off every living substance, man, woman, boy, girl, livestock, insects, everything except for those eight that were in that ark and the animals that were preserved and the insects and the reptiles and all that other stuff. So look at what it says. For yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth, 40 days and 40 nights. And every living substance that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the earth. He's talking about his creation. His creation had gone so evil and reprobate that destruction was all that was going to happen. I'm going to take every living substance and it's going to go away. Let's look at another example. This was one out of Genesis 12, 5. It's talking about things. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance. These are things that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haram. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan and into the land of Canaan they came. This is substance. These are things. They took it to another land. Now, here's an example of both inside and outside. And it's Proverbs 3, 9. You're going to see the inside substance being mentioned in the same vein that the next part of the actual verse will also talk about the outside substance. But when we rush through this scripture, because I've heard it many times, it's always looking as though they're talking about tithes and offerings, giving of your money, your income. But the first part of this sentence is about internal. The last part is about external, monetary, giving, tenths, making sure their first fruits are given to the Lord. Look at what it says in Proverbs 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with thy substance. And, see that comma and and? That says there's something else in addition to honoring him with thy substance. What's on the inside, what he created, the things that you're building for the eternal realm. And with the first fruits of all thine increase. Everything of the things that are temporary for this realm, he still wants you to give your first fruits of that. But he wants you to also honor him in your life, in your living, in your being, in your developing, in your growth about the substance that he put in you that is made out of his image and his likeness. Now, we're going to have three examples of that so I can make this plain. The first is coming out of Esther chapter 4, verse 12 through 17. And I'm going to give you the backstory of Esther so we don't have to read all of the chapters. Before she takes on the name of Esther, this young girl on the inside, she's Hadassah. Hadassah is a young girl that has lost her mother and her father to death. They're dead. She's an orphan. 
She's raised by a single father who becomes her father, a father figure, Mordecai. Mordecai never explains that Mordecai had any other children, doesn't explain that Mordecai had a wife. He was a single man raising his uncle's child, Hadassah. In the dispersed diaspora of the Jews, they find themselves in Shushan, the capital. Now, on the inside, you're going to see some characteristics of Esther as you read the chapters. She's an obedient girl to Mordecai. Mordecai has trained her and she's obedient. When she goes into the castle and the palace, she remains obedient to what he said, which is don't share who your people are. She's also a woman that has some wisdom, humility. She has smarts. She's strategic. There are things happening on the inside of her that even the people who are the eunuch who care care for the different women that are coming into that space, they find favor on her to the point that even when the king meets and talks with her, they have favor. He finds favor on her to crown her as the queen. Now, I say some of the inside game because when I take you to the passage, I want you to understand inside versus outside. That's some of her inside. Now, let's look at the outside. On the outside, she's a woman. She's a beautiful woman and she's a virgin to the point that people, when they're taking these different women, taking them from where they live to taking them to the palace to be presented to the king after their 12 months of preparation of their beauty. Her beauty is what people see on the outside, her stature. She looks like a woman that would be a great prize for the king to be presented to get him out of the funk of losing and, and basically banishing his first queen, Vashti. So on the outside, she's taken because of her beauty. But what will happen is that this woman on the inside is a woman of faith in God. This woman has seen some things in Mordecai, his upbringing of her, her culture. We don't know exactly when she became an orphan, but she knows the God of the nation of Israel. She trusts enough that she's going to use characteristics that even some Christians today don't understand, which is fasting and praying. So when you start to see her name change from Hadassah to Esther, her location go from where she came from to now she's in Shushan, her living with her relative Mordecai, who's her stand-in father, to she's being taken by herself and in a whole different place she's never been in a palace with strange people doing strange things to her, being presented to a man that could even have sex with her. She's a virgin. She doesn't know anything about sex. All these things are going on. So when you start to see this story unfold where evil Haman decides he wants to destroy the Jews, he doesn't like that Mordecai is disrespecting him, not giving him the due deference that he thinks he deserves to be stood up and knelt down and all stuff. Uh, Mordecai says, I'm not doing that. And it ticks off Haman to the point he wants to destroy, not just Mordecai, he wants to destroy every Jew in the province, unknowing that Esther, the new queen, is a Jew. I say that because when you see this one passage, I want you to see, this is not just a drive-by scripture where you just run through it. I want you to see the substance of who Esther is. I want you to understand that when God 
fashion Esther in Psalm 139's reference, thine eyes did see my substance being imperfect. God knew how beautiful he was going to make Esther. He knew the exact time she was going to be born. She knew he knew everything about her, even her inside presence and who she was on the inside. And he knows those things about you and I. Sometimes I think we get so caught up in what we see as the outside frame of our hair, our face, our body type, what we have as things and property and, and money and friends and all stuff. And we don't think what's more important to God is what's going to go into the eternal realm and not what's on the exterior. The substance on the outside is not the substance that he wants you to have your hope built in. The substance of things hoped for, he's hoping going to be more about him, his characteristics, and not about things on the outside. So let's start at verse 12 of Esther 4. Now, it starts off, and they told Mordecai Esther's words. Esther's heard about him being in sackcloth. She's tried to get him some clothes. He's pulled it off. She sends somebody down, say, what's going on? He tells her what's going on. She kind of comes back and say, you know, there's not much I can do. The king hasn't asked for me in 30 days. So this is the response of what's happening. And I want you to see how things were. Mordecai gives her direction, gives her training. It's going to switch because as she starts to unveil the substance of what's on the inside, you're going to see a commanding presence of her making decisions, of her strategically saying, this is what we are going to do. Not just her, her staff of maidens telling her, father figure, Mordecai, and everybody else. This is what you are going to go and to do and to gather because what I know, what must be done based on the content of what's the substance of my being on the inside, this has to be done. And we're not doing it alone. We're doing it tapping into God. So it says, and they told to Mordecai Esther's words. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. Go, gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast ye for me and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise. And so will I go into the king, unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. Now, there's a few things in her response that I want you to see clearly. She understands about fasting. She understands the magnitude of the fasting that she needs to make her appeal to God Almighty. The God Almighty that she's known from her youth until now, where she's about 
to face the king without having the authority or being asked for, which could mean she dies. The penalty of her walking into that inner court without being summoned is her death. So in the heat of what is going on, her substance is appearing even to the point of trusting God enough to say, if I perish, I perish because she trusts God. And she knows if that were to happen, she understands that she's going to go be with the Lord. Now, when Mordecai hears the answer, he doesn't send a response back other than he went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. She commanded him. That's her father figure. But at this point, she's the queen. She is the woman that has, like he said, has been put in this position for such a time as this in the kingdom to save the nation, the Jewish nation, the Jewish people all around those provinces. You know, Haman and Hitler and Hamas have not been the only people in historical times who wanted to destroy the Jews. God has spoken about it from Genesis to Revelation. His persons who he's chosen, who his son came and was a Jew, they've always been in the line of Satan to want to have them destroyed because they were the chosen people. Now we, you know, we are grafted in, we are adopted. Now, if you read the story, which you should, read the full story, you'll see that they were able to have the Lord minister in that duration where Azurerus was unsettled and couldn't sleep. And the things that orchestrated that God moved because of the fast, because of the petitions of the people and fasting and praying, Mordecai was elevated based on the king couldn't sleep. And he read his chronicles and he said, what was done for the man that saved me from being murdered by two disgruntled employees? And it all turned on Haman and it all turned on all the evil people that wanted to destroy Israel. Now, that's an example of Esther where we see her substance. Let's do another example of one that many of us, I think, hear the words about David being a man after God's own heart. But I want to show you something as David, as the young David is showing that in his inside substance, there was something that was always there and continued even to his death. That was the substance of David, the inside of David. His playbook never really deviated. Yes, he made mistakes. He sinned. He was a horrible situation with his sons. But God knew something about his heart. Now let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 45 through 47. I'm reading out of the NIV. David has been, he's coming from his father's house. He's coming to the battle with the Philistine Goliath. He says something in the midst of all of what's going on where he's going to hear the Philistine. He's going to basically say his resume, which I've taught in the past. Saul's going to give him his armor. The armor doesn't fit. That's another teaching. But what he says about God speaks volumes about what's in David's heart that God would say to all of us centuries and centuries later that David was a man after God's own heart. The substance that was written in Psalm 139, thine eyes did see my substance. When, when the Lord fashioned David, 
He knew the heart of David and what he would become. And so here in verse 45, David's going to say something to Goliath, but listen what he says. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you. This is where our battle, this is where the supernatural realm of the battle has to come. That's why in Esther saying, we are going to take the supernatural battle to the supernatural realm. We see something happening in the natural in front of us, but we have to understand that we have to work in the supernatural realm. Our substance on the inside has to tie in to that supernatural Holy Spirit that's within us to tie to the heavenly realm where Jesus Christ is seated on the right hand of God, the father and that heavenly realm and the Gabriel's and the Michael's and the warfare that's going on in all these places. David is saying, you're coming to me with natural tools, but I'm coming to you in the spiritual realm. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you, not him. Even though he's been blessed to take care of a lion and a bear, even though Esther is queen, they're not relying on that outward stuff. They're not, he's not relying on everything about what he did in the past. Queen Esther wasn't relying on the fact, I'm queen. I'll just tell the king, you're not going to do this. None of that. David says, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know. What will the world know? Because the substance, why do we have this substance that God is talking about in Hebrews 11.1? 1, the faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. You're hoping for a house. You're hoping for our husband. You're hoping for all these things on the outside. But what is he hoping that we will hope for? The substance of the eternal things. And what substance is he talking about? Psalm 139. So that we can give witness to his son. It says here, the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. That the whole world will know from my lips to your lips to your ears everywhere that there is a God of this universe. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. David knew in the substance of every fiber of his self about what God would do, who he is, what is his purpose, how we should glorify him, how he saves, how he is worthy to be praised. Okay, let's go to another example of David's inside game. First Chronicles 17, 16 through 25. I won't read all of that, but that's the context of what I want you to read. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and he said, who am I, Lord God? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? God brought him this far. And if this were not enough in your sight, my God, you have spoken about the future of the house of your servant. 
You, Lord God, have looked on me as though I were the most exalted of men. What more can David say to you for honoring your servant? For you know your servant, Lord, for the sake of your servant and according to your will, you have done the, this great thing and made known all these great promises. Do you hear the substance of the inside? You can point to David for all the things he did wrong. And sure enough, he did. Psalm 51 is a testament of how he's messed up and how he's gone to ask God to create a, a right spirit, create a new spirit in him, renew a right spirit to him. There is no one like you, Lord, and there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. And who is like your people, Israel, the one nation on earth who God went out to redeem a people for himself and to make a name for yourself and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations from before your people whom you redeemed from Egypt. You made your people, Israel, your very own forever, and you, Lord, have become their God. And now, Lord, let the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house be established forever. Do as you promise. Keep on reading. God is a promise keeper. When you start to have faith is the substance of things. Those things be God's promises to you. Those things that are the substance of the things be what God has promised from Genesis to Revelation. Be about his truth, be about his generosity, of his favor, of his glory, of his peace, of his mercy, of his long suffering, the character, the spirit of God in you. The substance of the things, if you would just focus on the substance of your inside game, your inside, what you're going to have for the eternal realm and not just this temporary realm. Now, I have to give you an example of the outside focus. That is going to be done in two places talking about Saul, King Saul, in the Old Testament. And let's go to 1 Samuel 13, verses 7 through 12. If you know about Saul's ascension, he was picked on the outside. He looked tall and he was good looking, all this stuff that on the outside game. But I think it's so clear that when the Lord picks David and denies, rejects all of his brothers before him, and he tells Samuel that man looks at the outside appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart, Saul's heart was wrong. What was inside manifesting from his lowly beginning of a small nothing, basically, meaning he didn't have any great uh, pedigree to even deserve this, but God let him have the kingship because the people demanded a king and they gave him a king. But Saul in these two passages shows what's going on on the inside. So in verse seven of chapter 13 of first Samuel, Saul remained at Gilgal and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He had fear. He, David, is such a stark contrast because he was a young boy who really only beside his work as a shepherd, he wasn't an army, a trained armsman, a trained anything. Saul was supposed to be king and he had an army with him and they were all in fear and he was in fear. He waited seven days. He took upon himself to take on a role that was never his. He was the king. He was not a prophet. He didn't have God's unction to 
do burnt offerings. And you'll see, as you see stories of David, where you can do things wrong, create a new cart like David did, and then somebody try to stop it from falling and they fall dead. God didn't strike Saul dead for doing this, but he was not happy about it. And Samuel's going to realize when he gets there how foolish, ill-advised you did such a thing. It says he waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, he said, didn't consult God. He said, and then he's going to make it up like, oh, I did it so I can make sure I do something to consult God and get his favor. Pretense, not, not, not really true to the inside unction of why he did it. He was afraid, they were afraid, and he was losing people who were scattering in fear. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished the offering, Samuel arrived and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? Asked Samuel. Saul replied, when I saw, here's him in his inside makeup starting to say, because of you, it's your fault. I waited and you didn't come and the men were scattering and I had to get this and I had to do this. When you start to see people make excuses for bad behavior, wrong behavior, you understand the substance of who they are is coming out because out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. He's speaking excuses, justification, rationale. And when we're outside the will of God, our substance reveals itself by making other people at fault versus, hey, I was wrong. I need to repent. He never repented. When I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time, your fault, your fault, and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, didn't consult God, I thought that I of us, I thought now the Philistines will come down against me. It's all about me saving my hide, making sure I'm okay. It's all about me. Substance of what's going on is selfish me. What I thought, what I thought to do, what I'm going to do, I did it. And he's basically saying, deal with it. Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. All of that was just a cover up. The substance of why he did it was, they're going to come against me. I got to protect my posterior. So I felt compelled, all about I. I thought they're going to come against me. I have not sought, and I felt compelled to offer the burnt offerings. You're wrong. So it keeps going on to the point that you get to 1 Samuel 15, verses 10 through 23. The outside frame is showing what's happening on the inside with Saul. God is going to regret making Saul king because what is on the inside, he, he, even though the spirit of God came upon him, that inside festering of motives and selfishness and all about me, 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 all the substance of what he was hoping for was all about himself. 
not about God, not about being faithful to God and his instructions, not about doing what God's principles directed him to do. And he was given warnings. Samuel tried to tell him, you are going the wrong direction. But Saul's inside game says, I, I listen to myself. I'm going to listen to myself. And there are people in this generation and generations to come that they will all be about the substance of me, me, my. And Satan elevated himself in heaven saying he wanted to be like the most high. He wanted the praise. And when your substance is all about you, God knows. God understands. Verse 10 of Samuel 15. First Samuel 15, 10. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me. That means he at one time was humble enough to listen, but something has changed the substance of what he's been hoping for. Everything about him is about that throne. Those outside things, those outside treasures, that outside, they're talking about David killing 10,000, only giving me one. I can't take it. All about me, me, me. And I want to kill David and I want to shut this down because I am the king. It's all about me. He has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. God knows this. And Samuel hasn't got there, but God has already told him the problem with Saul. Samuel was angry because he had tried to warn Saul, your inside substance is exposing. You are not fit to be king. Your inside substance is exposing on the outside. You ain't right. You are not right. You are not fit for the position that's been bestowed upon you. We're ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ. And our substance on the inside has to be more than what we see as the possessions of this natural plane, the accolades of this natural plane. It has to be about something that's going to go to the eternal. It says here, he was angry and he cried out to the Lord all that night. He's talking to God in his anger because he wants to help Saul. He wants him not to take him out of place because he probably likes him. He thinks it's a good look. You know, he looks good on the outside. He looks like a strong king. Give him a chance. No. He was told what to do. It was clear. There was no ambiguity. He was told what to do. And the Saul and the me, 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 and to blame everybody else, when he's confronted, he's going to blame everybody but himself. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told Saul had gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor. Me, 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 substance is me. And has turned and gone on down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. No, you have not. In your delusion, you do not understand that God said one thing, you did another. You are not obedient. Partial obedience is all disobedience. But Saul doesn't see it that way because he's the king. He's more important at this point than God and God's instructions. But Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, me, 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 substance is going to answer to say, 
I don't need to take any accountability for what I've not done. I can just blame. The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of they, not him. He's the king. It's his decision. The buck stops with the king. And God gave instructions to him. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord. Again, the cover up. To sacrifice to the Lord, your God. Not our God, your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. Enough. God is saying enough through Samuel. And some of us, he's saying enough foolishness of what you are having inside in your inside game. Focusing on everything on the outside. All the substance and things and treasures and temporary trinkets. Enough. I tend to listen to myself on the videos and I tend to fuss. I I go from level one, the gear shift one, and then by the time the teaching is over, I'm at gear shift five and I'm trying to calm down. But Samuel says, enough. Samuel said to Saul, let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, although you were once a small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Malachites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Now, he didn't do that. If you go to where the story of Esther, Haman was from the lineage of the Malachites. And when he was told about what was done, he wanted to kill all the Jews in retaliation for what didn't get done by what Saul did not obey God. So anyway, it unfolded like it's going to unfold, but he disobeyed. Well, Verse 19, why did you not obey the Lord? The question was simple. He could have repented. He could have said, I didn't do it. You're right. I didn't completely kill everybody. I didn't completely destroy everything. I just basically did my own thing. He didn't blame the soldiers like he did before, but look what he does. But I did obey the Lord. But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. This is where he's going to come and try to explain away his disobedience. The substance of what's going on on the inside of Saul is that he does not need to give an account. He is the one in charge. And he said, I did obey God to as much as I was going to and I wanted to. And that's how some people are when they don't want to give lordship over all parts of their life. Me too, to include myself. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And God will say, I want you to do this. And we'll do most of it and not this part. And we're like, oh, I did good. I did better than they. No. But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took the sheep and the cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord, your God, at Gilgal. This is the second time he said, your God, not our God, your God. So he's not even Saul's God in his eyes. 
He's your God, Samuel. But Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? You disobeyed him. So your soldiers brought the best cattle and the best sheep and, and disobeyed God saying, completely destroy everything. And you're going to say that's what they did, not you. You're, you're just separate and distinct. And you bought back the King Agag instead of killing everything. But you're going to tell me, I think you probably can sense that Samuel, who was angry that night, talking and pleading to God, realized God was absolutely right. But you see him in chapter 16. He's still having this issue about Saul. But Saul dug his own ditch. But Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. And as you know, the outcome of outside substance being the focus led him to destruction, depression, suicide, and death. I'm going to get you to go to 1 Samuel chapter 31. Sorry, team, I didn't give you this one. 1 Samuel 31. We're going to start at verse 2. That's my code to tell my dog to stop. Then the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons, and the Philistines killed Jonathan, Abinadab, and Melchior, Saul's sons. The battle became fierce against Saul. The archers hit him, and he was severely wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest the uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. It's all about him. But his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore, Saul took a sword and fell on it. He, he died. He died. He committed suicide. His disobedience to God, his having that negative spirit on him in the end, drove him to his destruction. So I repeat the scripture that we started out with that we need to understand that when it comes to faith is the substance of things hoped for. Make sure in all of our hearts, all of us need to make sure that the substance of things needs to be the substance of what's inside. The substance of what God says that we were made in the image and likeness of God. And that those of us who profess loving Jesus Christ, that we have the spirit within us. The sub substance that we should be hoping for is more of him, more of him leading and directing and guiding us to become the men and women for his work, for his ministry, for us to connect to the vine. Now, faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Eventually, when the heat comes, we're going to see the evidence of what your substance of the things you've been hoping for. Because in tragedy, in turmoil, in the things that God says, the trials work patience, bring us to completeness. That comes because we're building up the substance of what God is pouring into us through the truth of his word that became flesh, through the love of his spirit, through the teaching and training of him, of the intercession and constant prayer that we have with God the Father. 
I love you. And I just want to give y'all a heads up for those who have made it to the end. Uh, Milkshake Monday uh, will continue as normal. Uh, we will be in episode 271, Lord willing, next week. We are starting a new um, series called Ponytail Chronicles. While in Florida, uh, I was privileged to have women sit at a table with me and have some very honest and open and vulnerable communications about things of our emotions, how things related to what people say, how we are perceived and things that we feel on the inside about our hair. So that is coming out to be debuted on this Thursday, November 30th. Yay. Anyway, and also a praise report that Milkshake, I keep saying Milkshake Monday, but YouTube, our YouTube channel at Four Does has over 300 new, 300 subscribers total. And I know I was very ambitious at first because I saw I had thousands of people on my Milkshake Monday Facebook, and I thought you'd easily come over here and subscribe for the free subscription to YouTube. But that has been a long, uh, long but patient struggle and challenge. But God is to be glorified because people are hearing the message of the truth of God's word and they are subscribing. And that's a blessing. That is an absolute blessing. And I thank the Lord for it. I thank the Lord for you all uh, remembering me and your prayers. And if you find that you have opportunities for me to come and speak, to men and women, boys and girls. I talk to all age groups. I know how to speak in all those different languages of different age groups and the content of relationships, whether it's with people in your life, your business and career, your finances. And I really have a heart for marriages. I want some of you who are pastors or leaders in your churches that see that marriages, young marriages, young couples, people who are engaged, older couples, older couples that are struggling. I, I really want, and I'm believing for 2024 that I want you all to reach out to me because the marriage in the checkout workshops that are only two days, if it can be one day, yes, but you would get the blessing and the benefit for two days with the couples having some training that I think that many of us need in our marriages and our relationships. And even in the people that want to pursue a relationship with a significant other. We are missing out on a blessing. Well, I've got to go. I love you. The harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. I pray and we pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out more laborers. I love you and Lord willing, I'll see you next week. God bless.